Hello and welcome to this GCP short produced in collaboration with Risks and which starts with a focus on professional indemnity and why we're seeing captive formations being driven by this line. Oliver Schofield and Damien McNamara, both based in London but operating globally, have been extremely busy this year working on feasibility studies and formations in Europe, the Americas, even India and Asia. We begin by discussing professional indemnity since I've heard of at least two captives being formed in Guernsey this year in response to that line hardening as well as seen formations in other jurisdictions as well. But we also discussed what we believe to be the first cell migration to a new domicile while transitioning to a pure captive at the same time, as well as some exciting captive developments in India and a possible ART solution for the sustainable building sector. We will begin with PI, however, and Damien gets us started by outlining the state of the market. At this moment of time, as we come up to 1st of January renewals uh, and everyone is scrambling for capacity, the issue that a lot of clients are going to have in the first instance is that most of the major insurers, uh, as everyone will be aware, have increased the rates. Uh, rates for fresh indemnity have gone up anywhere from 50% to more than 100%, depending on the type of um, PI cover that you're buying and the location, etc. What we've also seen is that the line sizes that uh, insurers are willing to provide to individual insureds have decreased. And overall capacity from the insurer's point of view has decreased. We have seen instances where insurance companies have refused to take on any new business as far back as September because they've told their underwriters that you're simply going to have to renew your current book as it stands with increased rates, but you're not taking on any new business until 2021. And we've also seen instances where a number of insurers have said to their underwriters, the 2021 book isn't increasing and in fact is decreasing, overall capacity is decreasing, but the rates will go up, so the income should stay the same. Yeah, really, really interesting. It sounds familiar to, to some other lines as well that we've been talking about on the podcast. Damien, I'm just interested um, actually to know generally uh, professional indemnity, how how volatile is that as a line uh, more broadly looking over a longer period of time? Do we Does it follow the same kind of hard soft market cycles as we see in, in other kind of PNC areas? Or is this a particularly harsh, uh, steep uh, increase in rates? I think it is quite steep in a number of areas. Uh, and again, of course, You've got to divide the, the PI market up. Obviously, you know, there's, there's particular areas that have been hit quite harshly over the past few, few years. You know, solicitors, for example, uh, and other professions have been hit quite hard with rate increases and, and will probably continue to see their rate increases go up. We know of certain professions that are struggling to get their basic lines of insurances uh, placed which, of course, has then led to the advent of people investigating captives. But overall, the market, you know, not just with the traditional insurance companies, uh, has, is changing. We've seen, certainly some of the other businesses that I, I get involved in, from an MGA perspective, we've seen a number of the professional indemnity MGAs struggling to get their own capacity sorted out. They've increased their rates, and, and that is you're having a detrimental effect on the small to medium-sized businesses that are trying to get professional indemnity insurances. 
Thanks, Damien. That's a really useful kind of setup for us. And as you mentioned there, obviously, we are hearing lots of interest and not just interest, but activity around corporates or law firms uh, setting up captives for the purpose of ensuring professional indemnity. Lots of activity this year on both sides of the pond I've seen from license activity. Ollie, you've been in discussions with some of these firms looking at setting up a captive in response to this PI market uh, rate increase. What process or considerations need to be made for these for these organisations that are looking at setting up a captive for funding their professional indemnity cover? Well, let's start with the process. I think essentially it's very important for us to explore what the issues are for the particular buyer. Is it just price? Now, we know that price is a big decision-making factor right now because of the, the huge increase in rates that Damien just mentioned. But what else is it? Is it perhaps a breadth of cover that is beginning to be restricted? Is it potentially also the availability of the capacity, particularly in the higher layers, where we're seeing companies not being able to buy the limits they bought in the, uh, in the previous years? Um, but we also need to explore the ability for the insured to be able to retain risk. What is their risk appetite and what are the, um, uh, what are the, the downsides to potentially increasing their, their net risk exposure? So we start, start there as a process. But then we need to move into the considerations. And that really is driven by what is the best bang for their buck in terms of what allowances are the market going to give in, the, in terms of premium for any increased retention that those uh, insureds take. What breadth of cover can the captive offer that is over and above what is available from the primary market? So through a DIC process, so they can at least try and retain some of the, uh, the areas they, they feel is particularly important to them uh, in terms of coverage. Um, and then thirdly, the consideration would be what opportunities are there for any price arbitrage with the captive reinsurance market uh, by structuring deals on a second or a third loss basis, whereby the rating scales will be entirely different from the rating scales applied in the, in the direct primary market? And can a captive be set up just to write professional indemnity? Do you see captives set up for that sole purpose or do you need to kind of have other risks uh, in there to help with diversification or, or kind of with the, of the broader book? A captive can certainly be set up just to write PI and we are in the process of establishing a few in that space right now. As always though, um, our mantra at, uh, at risk is that a captive should be seen as a profit center within an organization. And the best way to be able to drive profits from a captive back to the parent is by taking a more holistic view on risk within the parent company and looking to expand the captive to write other lines um, in due course. Where the key urgency is to get the structure in place in time for the forthcoming renewal, then yes, we would urge just go keep it simple, get the captive set up, write the PI, solve that problem, and then think about how the captive can grow in subsequent periods. Yeah, and what you outlined there, Ollie, is exactly what um, an interview I've done already. We, we haven't published it yet in, in, on the podcast, but it is coming out soon. It's an interview with Devere Group, who did set up a captive in Guernsey this year to, to cover professional indemnity. Uh, and they said exactly the same as that, Ollie. They, they, it has been set up for the sole purpose to begin with on, on PI and DNO, in fact. Uh, but they are looking at other internal risks as they go to, to add to the captive. So just lastly on the professional indemnity, regarding timelines that need to be taken into consideration if a firm is considering forming a captive uh, before their next pi renewals for example what kind of 
timeline should they be looking at? I, I guess it might depend, uh, Ollie, depending on on the domicile. But what what should they have in mind? Well, right now the um, the the projects we're working on, where our clients have said that they absolutely want to go ahead and sell up the captive vehicle, most of those have got March twenty twenty one renewals. So it's only three months away, which is not long at all, but it is possible and we will get it done. We are working with a client who has exposures other than PI uh, to establish their captive by the end of this year. And that's going to be a very, very short time frame. However, because of the evolving regulations in Guernsey and Bermuda, there is a possibility to establish the vehicle in a much shorter time frame. Yeah, interesting, Ollie. I was actually going to ask that question. In Guernsey, do I assume you are referring to this um, much faster uh, sale captive uh, setup alteration process? Is that what's made it more possible to do it so quickly? Yes, it has, but we need to be careful um, because that uh, that changing of the regulations was really brought in to uh, solve emergency problems. Um, So if renewal terms have come through that have completely taken everybody by surprise and the solution is to establish a captive ASAP, then that pre-authorization process can be adopted for that. Um, Certainly from what we've heard, it is not designed to uh, replace the usual robust uh, timeline and processes that go into the decision making behind establishing a captive. Um, So it's not a shortcut to allow people just to let time drift. It's an emergency response to an emergency uh, situation. I think the other key point here is that, for instance, in Guernsey, that this is basically its legislation that allows Guernsey to keep up to speed with what Bermuda has been able to do for a number of years. And this is restricted, this, this, um, this new facility, in that each individual manager is only allowed a certain number of these uh, pre-approved cells. Now, the number is set in stone, but it will be limited. And, you know, what people need to understand is that to get to the process of being able to do this quickly, they need to have the business plan, they need to have uh, all the due diligence, all the KYC that you would normally do, that needs to be ready to go. So the build-up to get the pre-approval is still effectively the same. It may take weeks and weeks to get the build-up and the business plan done, but to press the button and to get the pre-approval, that can then take you know, anywhere between, you know, let's say, less than 72 hours. That's not guaranteed, but that's how quick it could be done. But people need to understand, uh, as Oliver quite rightly pointed out, this is not the new way of doing business. This is there for emergencies only. And managers will have uh, and do have the right to say, no, your, your structure is not going to be suitable for a pre-approval. Great. That's really, really helpful, Ollie and Damien, because we haven't had a chance to cover that particular um, uh, development in Guernsey recently on the podcast. I think we will certainly be addressing it very early on next year, but I really do appreciate you guys providing that context. All right, well, let's stay on the topic of of cell captives, Damien, and just move this conversation on a little bit, because I know uh, you've been very busy in other areas, not just on professional indemnity this year. I believe one of the projects, uh, Damien, has involved migrating a European cell captive into into Vermont. Uh, can you expand at all at all on, on this process and kind of what it involved? Yes, so we, we were approached um, a while ago uh, by an owner who has a, has a structure uh, in a European domicile and they wanted to move it to the US uh, for a number of reasons. One was to take advantage uh, of the fact that they were having more US-based clients and it made sense for them to have a US-based structure. 
Also, there was an opportunity for them to get T-listed, which means they allowed to be on the Treasury list, and that becomes approval process for things like government agencies to be able to utilize that captive. So the captive was more becoming a, a proper insurance company. It had a number of years of experience, excellent track record, very specialist in the areas in which they worked. And they just felt the natural progression uh, to move to this almost insurance company structure. It was an interesting process. It, it took a number of months. Uh, it, wasn't, um, it wasn't overly complicated, but, and certainly the, um, the firms that we worked with, the law firms and the managers that we worked with in the U.S. were absolutely excellent. Um, it was a learning experience for everyone. Uh, and uh, yeah, we're really pleased with it. And, and the client is retaining us to do a bit more advisory work for them in the future. So all around a good result. Yeah, and I think it's um, uh, actually the very first time that a cell captive has been converted to a full captive and gone through the total redomicilization process all in one transaction. Um, so we, we obviously were very excited to uh, be able to be part of that. And the law firm and accountancy firm partners that worked with us were absolutely amazing in helping to get this done. Uh, obviously not to mention also the uh, the catch managers and the regulators. Yeah, I mean, it is. Uh, I, I know that those kind of processes, it is kind of a very collaborative approach, isn't it, between the different partners uh, involved on, on both sides of the pond and then the different, you know, legal uh, accountancy, regulators, etc. all have to be kind of on the same page. And a lot of that, I imagine, is kind of herding cats at times. So so good work, guys, for getting that done. Ollie, you've also been involved in uh, capital formations for companies based in Latin America and even India uh, this year. And India is certainly a region uh, where we haven't seen much capital activity from the size of that economy uh, historically. What has driven this interest and, and are these markets ones that you hope to see more uh, captive interest and activity from uh, in the near future? The interesting thing about those two domiciles is that the drivers there are slightly different from the drivers that we're seeing in the European and North American space. For the Indian client with whom we're working, their driver was trying to build an entity that would ultimately allow them to offer customer insurances uh, for the product that they sell to their consumers all around the world. They wanted to be able to guarantee the efficacy of their product and wanted to be able to add into the overall price of people buying that product an insurance solution that in the event there were product failure, the customer would be uh, recompensed for the uh, the lost revenue that they would uh, have expected from using the product in the first place. So that had nothing to do with the uh, state of the market. It had everything to do with trying to create a vehicle to capture more profit from their product within their own organization. As far as the Latin American one is concerned, again, it was about trying to capture profit within their industry, within their, within their company. And they are setting up a captive in Bermuda specifically to be able to provide insurance uh, along with the product that they are offering to their personal consumers rather than their corporate consumers. So both of these have been very much about where we see CAPT is playing an integral role, not just in risk management, but also about capturing and delivering profit to the organization, to the parent company. Now, India in particular is interesting because there are certain regulations in India that prevent the establishment of captives for Indian headquartered companies. Now, we've discovered in our research that there are actually two ways around this. Uh, first of all, there is a new free trade zone uh, in India that has been established specifically to allow Indian organizations 
uh, to set up insurance captives whereby they can underwrite their international, i.e. non-Indian exposures, uh, through, that, uh, through that free trade zone. What it allows those Indian companies to do is to actually benefit from having the captive uh, process within their businesses, but also, from the Indian government's point of view, protects the revenue for the direct insurances in India, and therefore, uh, that, that is a happy solution as far as the government is concerned. I think it's the first tentative toe in the water um, as far as captives are concerned in India. The second thing about India is that we know that there are uh, possibilities for uh, the international subsidiaries of Indian domiciled uh, parents to explore the cell captive route, again, for their international exposures. Um, so we see this as a very positive and exciting development for uh, for that part of the world. Yeah, really interesting, Ollie. And I just want to expand on that, if I may, and ask you a follow-up question, because I know the reason why I think there's been historically low or no take-up of, of captives among uh, Indian corporates has been exactly the reason you, you outlined being the kind of protectionist nature of the government concerning its uh, insurance and reinsurance industry. So are you saying then that essentially we, we will see uh, or we could see captures being formed within India, within this free trade zone, because that, that is a, a quite exciting development. Yes, I had a conference call with um, various uh, individuals in that free trade zone uh, just a couple of weeks ago as we, we talked around what the possibilities might be. Um, they were very, very clear in their description that this is only to allow those Indian headquartered organisations to capture uh, international currency transactions from the international risks that those organizations have. So whilst there's an exciting development, and it may well open the doors to other organizations based in India looking at this, it still is a certain amount of protectionism because it will not allow those captives in that zone to write the domestic Indian, Indian risks. And for me, that's a, that's a, it's a, that's a great challenge um, and therefore a great opportunity for us to start extolling the virtues of captives to the domestic Indian market. Because once we've opened that door, once we started moving organisations into the captive world, that, I think, gives us the opportunity to start lobbying to the regulators and the government as to why an organisation having a captive is ultimately beneficial to the, 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 the country where that host parent is located. Yeah, really, really fascinating. As you said, it's a, it's it's a good a good first step. So, so one to watch closely. So thank you for that. And then another another project that caught my eye is you know I think the the environmental topic has been has been lost a bit in in 2020, particularly due to the the pandemic. But business trends in this area are continuing. Ollie, I understand you've been exploring a, a potential ART solution in the area of sustainable building. So it's not just hard insurance markets that create a need for captives, but also just some sectors or emerging risks still find it incredibly difficult to purchase insurance uh, generally, don't they, Ollie? So what, what's this uh, What's this solution that you've, you've been looking at? So the manufactured timber space is an area that a lot of the large developers and contractors in the UK and elsewhere in, uh, in Europe are trying to push because they want to see an increase in the use of environmentally friendly or green building uh, development. The challenge that we have in this space is that there are very few insurers that can actually offer cover. And where capacity is available, it is very expensive, it's restricted in quantum, it's very narrow in coverage breadth, and it does require significant client self-insured retentions. 
You add to that the current regulations that we have, not only here in the UK, but also um, in other parts of continental Europe, regarding the amount of uh, green building materials that can be used in any construction. Part of this is driven by the nightmare that was Grenfell, and part of this is because there doesn't seem to be, at the moment, sufficient evidence of the benefits of green building um, and the safety of green building. And so governments typically take a more conservative view because they don't want a disaster to happen on their watch. What this means is that the the building sector um, across Europe is struggling to meet their carbon zero aims because what they want to be able to do is to increase the use of green materials to help drive down the use of the uh, the polluting or the the the, uh, the the less environmentally friendly materials. They know that if they can use um, green building technology, they can deliver lower cost structures for end users. Now that has an economic and uh, a humanitarian impact when we know that there's such a, a need for increased um, housing across uh, across Northern Europe, across Europe rather. Um, but they also want to be able to deliver lower cost structures for developers and contractors because that keeps their overall expenses down, which means they can invest more into the continued development and research into green building uh, materials. The most popular ones of all of these is uh, manufacturing or structured timber. Um, and there is a desire for uh, use of timber in, in all sorts of construction um, uh, environments, whether that's housing, whether that's office buildings and so on. But currently the restrictions are you cannot build more than two storeys high using timber because the regulators feel that it is a very, very high fire risk. Now, we're working with uh, various professional reinsurers, um, as well as uh, quite a few organisations involved in the broad construction development space in the UK, from architects to designers to engineers to builders, contractors, developers, etc., to build an association captive that will allow them access then to capacity to be able to start using these materials in a low-level way, but also then to create an association through this association captive that can lobby government, lobby regulators and, uh, and, and other invested parties to show how these materials are actually um, much, much safer than perhaps they, uh, the, those regulatory bodies consider. So very exciting uh, 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 programme. Yeah, and just another example of the kind of versatility and, and multiple uses and drivers for captives and, and how captives can be a, a force for real good in the economy uh, and wider society as well, if you get that off the ground, Ollie. So I, I look forward, Ollie, to hopefully maybe discussing that one with you in a bit more detail. Maybe this time next year we'll, uh, we'll have some more action on that. We can, we can delve into it. Absolutely. Hopefully sooner. Well, thank you to Oliver Schofield and Damien McNamara for a very varied and informative 20 minutes. For more information on risks, please do visit their Friend of the Podcast page on globalcaptivepodcast.com. In the meantime, stay safe, stay well, and see you next time, captives.